What's up, what's up, y'all? This is Dave. And this is Devin. And you're listening to the Dave and Dev Podcast. Dave and Dev. Gotta keep it real like Dave and Dev. On my job like Dave and Dev. Tell no lie like Dave and Dev. Some days I wanna stay in bed. But I get ready for the day ahead. I wanna complain, but I pray instead. Then I'm on my way to the Dave and Dev. And it go like, I don't need a crew. Don't play by he say, she say rules. Don't play, no, we can't do. I'd rather have faith while G-O-D make moves. So please stay cool. All, all I do is speak the truth on things I see they do. I'm a sinner myself. No lie, I need grace too. We lit like EKU. Yeah. Yo, what's up, Devrin? Hey, what's going on, Dave? Man, not a whole lot. Super excited to be back on the podcast. Uh, for those of y'all listening, we are also uh, filming this one, so you'll be able to find it on our YouTube page. But super excited to be on the podcast. We got our friend, our brother in Christ, Mike Austin, on with us. Um, I know Mike was on a, an episode back in 2019, 2020, uh, talking about being a coach and being a professor and all those sorts of things. But if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go check it out. Uh, but Mike, could you uh, briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, you bet. So I'm a uh, professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University, uh, where I've been since 2004. And yeah, I teach and write a lot in ethics. Um, soccer coach. So season just, well, preseason just started working on that. And um, yeah, one wife, three kids. Down to one dog. So, you know, uh, Mike, I just noticed yeah. you got tatted. Last that wasn't there last time we 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 interviewed you. That's true. I'm going through a midlife crisis. So <laughs> next <laughs> next time he's on, he's gonna have a full sleeve and some earrings. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, there could exactly be uh, right. there could be worse things you can get involved in. So it's just just yeah, slow processing right. to turn it into Bono. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, just gotta work on the hair and sunglasses, but we'll, I'll get there. There you go. There you go. <clears throat> well, you uh, you're very uh, humble, Mike. I, I think that you undersell yourself because <laughs> you uh, I feel like you do a lot more than just be a professor and and write a little bit here and there. But, um, you know, really. We, we could sit and talk for hours about lots of different stuff. You're one of my favorite people to to converse with. Um, Chiefs fan. My Bengals beat you twice last year. I mean, we could talk about a lot mm. of stuff, you know what I'm saying? Um, but ring baby, <laughs> but, uh, we'll, we'll get right into it. So uh, I guess it was 2020 that your book released. Yeah. Yeah. May of 2020 God and guns in America. Um, yeah, gosh, that's two years over two years ago now, <laughs> two years ago that your, your books and it's, you know, almost out of its rookie contract here. So yeah, almost <laughs> could you, uh, just briefly for those who, who don't know, could you give kind of like a, a cliff notes, uh, 30 second high level overview of what the, what the book is about. Yeah. So the main idea of the book is that the main thesis is that we can uh, reduce gun violence in the United States, uh, in a variety of ways while still protecting the rights of responsible gun owners. So that's a big picture. There's a little bit of history and second amendment stuff, and that's just kind of setting the stage. And then I talk really to focus on Christian ethics and guns, both from, a a theological, scriptural, philosophical point of view. 
uh, thinking through about some of the bad arguments both sides give. Uh, the last chapter then is just some suggestions for possible ways forward, both in the sort of the policy realm, but also in, I guess what I would just call the moral and spiritual realm, things that we can do as the church um, to try to address this issue. Yeah. So the first time we talked, it was just briefly about it. There, there was another school shooting. And unfortunately, we're back again in 2022 with another. And what has changed? What laws have changed since the last time we talked? Um, federally, none okay, that, I'm aware, okay. that I'm aware of. Uh, you, yeah, I'd have to check for sure, but for sure, none that have been aimed at reducing gun violence. Right. Okay. So, so, so that's kind of where I wanted to get at to start because when we first started, we were. It was more of like a like a philosophical, if it happens again, this is something like you, you don't expect these things to happen. Like me personally, I don't, but they keep, it's, it's almost like it's a yearly thing now and we get shocked and nothing happens. And now I'm at this point where I'm like, well, we got to do something like some kind of law has to change no matter what side of the political aisle you're on. I would just be okay with an attempt. And then at least with the, the attempt to change something, you know, different things can happen from there. So I'm from Ohio. And one of the things that the governor just did there is he wrote a, a law, it's in law now, that um, counties can have teachers uh, carry guns, which to me is, a, is another wild concept, but it is, it's something. Right. And I'm not necessarily in favor for that, because I think how are you going to tell how are you going to tell teachers who can't afford books and supplies for their own classrooms that now you have to we have to we have now we have the money for guns and ammo. That's a whole different conversation. But what I'm trying to say is there's something. So like you said, federally, there's nothing. So I want to just throw out a large hypothetical. If you could just do one broad overreaching law right now just <laughs> hypothetically what would your federal idea be yeah that's a good question because there's there's not going to be one magic one that solves it all of course um but a set of them can reduce it so anyway i would say i i think yeah i would say a federal uh, extreme risk protection order law or red flag law what they're more commonly called um that has yeah, that's well-written, that requires due process so that anyone that tries to abuse the law would be, you know, there's sufficient penalty for that and accountability. But yeah, you see in some of these cases with, with school shooters and other kind of mass shootings, since that's our focus recently, although that's just a minuscule part of gun violence, a lot of the issue is sometimes people even try to do something and no one listens to them or they don't know what to do. So if we could have something like that, um, because those have been proven to work at the state level. And so even though it's been a few years, I write about one of those state red flag laws in my book from Maryland. Um, I think it's Montgomery County, Maryland. And they had a, a red flag law. They've had one in place and the sheriff talked about within a certain, <clears throat> excuse me, within a certain time period, they had uh, 300 cases where uh, firearms were removed and six of those were potential school shootings. Mm. And so, so, and I guess just to, because some people may not be aware, red flag law essentially is 
It allows a family member, neighbor, police, medical professional, whoever, if let's say they know somebody like in my family that, that has a gun or guns. And I think there is a good reason to worry they're a danger to themselves or others. Then you can basically submit um, to the courts, right? This extreme risk or request for extreme risk protection order. There's a hearing if the, if the court finds that there's no basis for it, the person gets to keep their guns. If there is, they get them removed for, I think it depends on the state and maybe upwards of a year where there's a second hearing and then they can have their guns returned or not. So it's a way to get the, you know, firearms out of the hands of somebody who, yeah, who shouldn't have them at the moment. Um, and I think that that's something, that's actually something from, from friends and colleagues I know who are much more kind of strong, whatever, tend to be against any new gun laws. That's one that you see more people being favor of. So I think there's some common ground on that one. Um, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> That's what I would do though, if I just had to pick one today. Yeah, Dave, I think in one of our conversations earlier this week, I think you had mentioned something like that in Maryland, um, where that, that being effective. I, I stole I think... that from Mike, so. <laughs> oh, see, look at him. <laughs> there you go. Can't get away from me. Yeah. So, uh, I actually had, I obviously have the book. Um, I listened to two or three podcasts that you were on in the last week or two, uh, from back in 2020 when you were kind of, uh, promoting the book, I guess. And, uh, people had reached out to you and, and, you know, ask, we're asking questions of you. And so, you know, one thing that we've always strived to do on this podcast and that, uh, you know, I think we should try to do as, as Christians is to approach these issues biblically and approach them from the perspective of like, you know, how do, how do we look at this from, you know, a loving and, and moral and a decent perspective, you know, as believers. <clears throat> so, you know, I think the, you know, the, the law, you know, that that's fantastic. I mean, from all I've heard and listened to, like, that seems like a great first step if we can, you know, get that in place. But, you know, you are pro Second Amendment, right? Like, I don't I don't think that's any uh, a secret. You, you know, you own guns and um, whatnot. But, you know, how do we look at gun ownership from a, a Christian perspective? How do we how do we see that? And how do we uh, process through whether or not it's, you know, OK, even? to, to own a gun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really hard question because the one, you know, I, the ones I own are a couple, you know, from growing up, I write about this, some of the book in a I grew up in Kansas, a family where hunting and, and like going to the, like the gun range, shoot trap and skeet, those kind of things were just normal. It's like my dad's main recreational thing, which he still does today. It never was really about self-defense or being an armed citizen or something like that and so that's something that's changed a lot so i don't there are very few i would say moral problems with gun owning ownership for recreation and hunting those kind of things but then if you're but then when it enters the realm of self-defense um or defending property or people that we've seen this more past five or six years people that like I guess just called armed citizenship, right? People that want to like play the role of police and be armed in public. Um, then we have some deeper problems for sure. And so I, I mentioned this probably in some of the podcasts you heard and that you listened to and still, yeah, it's still the case. 
Um, I, yeah, I think the Second Amendment, right? I think there's a valid reasoning for that, right? For basic gun rights. But of course, even the Supreme Court's found that, that that doesn't, that's consistent with restrictions on who can have guns, where they can have them, what kind. So a lot of the argument today is just about more the cliches. You can't give any ground, right? Or they'll take our guns away. Well, that's just ignores the history of the law. Um, but, for, but back to the biblical point, as a Christian, like reading through even the Old Testament, which, which we tend to think of as more violent, there's a lot of anti-violence. There's a strong anti-violence threat in the Old Testament that I think we easily ignore. Um, even I was reading in the Psalms yesterday, the day before, right, about God hating violence. And, you know, God doesn't allow David to come into the sanctuary because he's a warrior that shed blood. And so they're hard questions for sure. But over the time writing the book, I definitely move even not a pacifist, but a, a lot closer to that view that that there needs to be a lot heavier burden placed as a Christian on when violence is justified. Mm. Um, and what, one thing that really concerns me is Christians who are willing, who almost celebrate it. Right. So I've seen this um, on social media and even talking to people over the years where, yeah, where they where violence is celebrated or like relished or, you know, that's not Christian. I mean, that's just, you know, it's just it's just counter to scripture right yeah, um, yeah, i think i think there's a difference between gun lovers and gun nuts and yeah so the it, i mean in a lot of ways the united states is unique in that we have so so much freedoms with the guns that we can purchase and so many people have the similar stories to you mike is that they've grown up with guns around the house and it's just been a part of um almost like a part of how they grew up and it was their heritage. Mm -hmm. Now you have the other side of it that they might've grown up with it, but it now becomes their identity and they become uh, almost offensive or aggressive with their, with their purchase and use of guns, like waiting for someone to do something, you know, that looks like it's offensive to, to react to it. Um, and I, I think that that's when it becomes dangerous. And I think also couple that with where we've gone in the last, I don't know, uh, seven to eight years with uh, owning another party. And so you have you, you want to dominate this this other party. And so part of that becomes their nationalistic identity, which guns is, becomes a part of that. And now you can't you can't lose a step because because this is so much a part of you and your, you know, political identity that you have now. And that's when it becomes dangerous, I think, is when it becomes like an ideology instead of just something that you do. Yeah, and I think what's happened is, look, anything from a Christian perspective, biblical perspective, anything can be an idol, you know, sports, well, that's a little too close to home, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, but but you know, honestly, sports, you know, a, a person, I mean, yeah, human beings make anything, but they're, you can own guns and then not be an idol in your life for sure. But I think this isn't for me, just some of the reading I did kind of working on the book, guns do have some special features that, that lend themselves to that, right? There's a, a sense of power, right? And having a firearm. Um, I even talked to a yeah, podcast is on a guy actually former 
Kansas City Chief, um, who's getting a philosophy PhD, because, you know, that's the way we roll the Chiefs. Um, Renaissance men. <laughs> they, don't, they don't win often, but you know what, though? They often, they, but they learn, though. Mm, all right, then. How are the Browns doing? I was going to say, uh, the guy from Browns guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dave, when's the last time the Bengals beat the Browns? Okay, keep going, Mike. <laughs> this is turning, this is going south. Um, <laughs> What was he even talking about? Sorry, <laughs> you were you were you were uh, talking, talking about, about idols. The, yeah, oh idols. yeah. So yeah, just the the power of life and death, right? And um, oh yeah, the, the guy. So the friend of mine, he talked about after reading the book, and we were discussing this, like because he would he has a fire, firearm, he carries it, and he meant he noticed that when he would take it with him out, as he started reflecting on it, an, an attitude set or attitude change, and like a change in his mindset, sort of this aggressive you don't want to mess with me not a huge one but a subtle one um that's that's an issue and so yeah i just think we so the power of guns it goes into the identity point that you're talking about devrin where guns can become they become fused with our with family identity with political identity religion gets mixed in there um all those kind of things and where i mean i remember talking to someone at EKU before the gun before the book was coming out and she asked you know I heard you writing a book called God and Guns in America and I said yeah and she goes that's what that's what we believe in God and guns now what does that mean I mean I kind of know what it means but if we just stop and think those are the things you believe in God and guns that's really troubling um, from a Christian perspective so and that we would even elevate and let's just say she meant oh, we believe that you should have be able to have a gun and have strong Second Amendment rights, but to elevate that to in the same sentence with God, that's just that's that's a problem. I mean, if, um, we're, being, if we're being honest, the average American, if they're waiting for someone to defend, you know, to defend their homes or whatever, even if you live in some of the most violent parts of America, the chances are your gun is collecting dust. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that's the only purpose that you want to use, that that's the chances are it's collecting dust. And not, I'm I'm a pro two a guy. And I'm, I'm just being realistic about them. They're fun to shoot around, like you said, to, to go to the range, to go trap and skeet. All those things are fun. But I mean, and it is I, there is an element of being, you know, having that that confidence to defend your yourself and your own property. But I think sometimes we can go overboard with with some of the like and how we defend we defend guns like it's God. And that's where it gets mm. tricky. Yeah. And I think the, um, yeah, I guess I'm worried too. I mean, look, the, the, on the, the evidence of the data is that people that are, that buy guns for self-defense tend to be, um, middle to upper middle class, suburban and rural white people who statistically are also the ones that are least likely to, need a gun for self-defense so that's interesting um that's where sometimes i think fear can come into play and on that same note do you know like every time i bring up this conversation to someone uh they always talk they always mention chicago like what about chicago what about this do you know where people get their guns in chicago chicago has all these restrictive laws about purchasing guns they go to indiana yeah they go right next door they, and, and, they, and they bring them back or they go or they go south they, they go like mississippi or something i mean these are places where people are buying the guns they're not buying them in illinois they're not buying them in yeah. Chicago. they're coming over 
and and so what about you know Chicago that 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 makes these things so interesting is that it's not it's not the Chicagoans that are selling these people the guns to to do you know these acts it's yeah the other states that are doing it yeah and a lot of junk guns you know cheap ones get shipped in there there were the, I mentioned this in the book they traced back. Within a certain year period, Chicago police traced back guns that were confiscated, like in criminal act from criminals, like in criminal actions. I want to say it's around twenty percent to one gun store in just across the line in Indiana. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the Chicago. I mean, it, that's uh, yeah, just can drive you up a wall. That what about Chicago? I'm like, well, that's like saying I'm here in Richmond. Let's say marijuana is illegal here, but every surrounding county it's legal, and the, and then there's more marijuana here than anywhere else. Why is it? See, the laws don't work. Well, yeah, of course they don't work when you can just, <laughs> you know, Five, 10 minutes and get it. Yeah. So, and yeah, by the way, marijuana guys, is not legal in any surrounding counties to Richmond, Kentucky, in case anyone was saying it was That's right. So don't, don't get excited kids. <laughs> yeah. Not, so anyway, yeah, I think that's right. And I think the, I would say this from a back to the like the main question a friend of mine um rob shank he there's a documentary called the armor of light you can see it free online it's kind of his journey about gun rights issues and he mentioned when he he actually went through like sort of self-defense firearms training um and the first day right that he was there the instructor said you if you're going to what he tells everybody if you're going to carry a firearm in public or just have one for self-defense you have to decide right now that you're willing to kill another person. Like you have to have that settled conviction in your heart and mind. Otherwise you're just, you're, you're more of a danger to yourself and others by having that firearm present. And I think as Christians in America, it's so easy to just think self-defense or defend my property. And we live in a culture awash with violence, right? Whether it's military violence, violence in the media, violence in our words, violence in our political and our politics. And so it's just, if we just stop for a minute and think even that, and I'm not saying that killing in self-defense is wrong. I think it's, I think it's a lot harder question than we want to make it as Christians, but you have to say, I'm willing to end the life of another human being made in God's image. Um, self-defense. Okay. There's, there's some arguments there, but I recently this week, someone was saying, trying to justify somebody comes into your house, steals some of your stuff. And as they're leaving your house, it's okay to shoot them in the back. I'm just like, no, as Christians, no. as yeah, as and as, you have as, that as, stuff. <laughs> as a yeah, I mean, I'm and the, I don't know if the guy's a Christian. He was using Christian language, but but the bottom line is, um, proper. No, that's uh, <laughs> there's some gray areas for me. That's there's no gray there. You someone you don't kill another human being over property. Take my car. Take you know whatever. That's just from a Christian moral perspective, spiritual perspective. Yeah, it's not right. Um, I don't want someone to come take my stuff. I'm not going to kill him over it. So, yeah. And I think too, we forget, we just don't realize the weight of that. So I would, you know, I tell, I tell people what I think in the book and why, but I'd be, I want people just to wrestle with it and not just have a few cliches that justify their choices. Cause it's not that easy. That's what I found is that a lot of people just repeat the things that they see on TV or internet. And that's, that's their main talking points as to why they want to defend their rights of, of guns. And I mean, yeah, at, at, like I said, again, I I'm, I'm 
pro gun, you know, I'm pro Second Amendment, but I, I'm, but it gets to a point where I'm willing to, if if it if it means that I have that other people can be safer, I'm willing to go through extra steps to make sure that other people are safe. Absolutely. Yeah. And I find it so unique too, and I think you kind of touched on this, Mike. Is like we've become so desensitized to these sorts of things. Like <clears throat> I was actually telling somebody a, a week or two ago about having you on and like how excited I was to, you know, have this conversation. And uh, I had looked it up online. There's a, a government website that tracks all shootings over one person. Right. So like basically if more than one person is involved in a shooting, it tracks it. And uh, basically it was like in 30 days, there was like 36 shootings of over one person and i was talking to them and i was just like you know mass shootings are such a problem and it's like it's not just you know one-on-one violence like you see this all the time and like that's such an issue and i said the word mass shooting and they were like that's only three people i'm like that's three people that you know like or whatever the case was you know of all it was 21 people like any any life loss is a tragedy right um, and, and I think that you're touching on that point is like, we have to be more considerate about that. And I, I think that that's where, like, if you listen to the show ever, if you listen to any conversation that my, I've ever had, like, my goal is to like, be considerate about those sorts of things, especially from a biblical perspective is like, like, we have to be considerate of these things. And, and no matter what, you know, whether you say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm choosing to not own a gun or I'm choosing to own 10, or I'm choosing to say, hey, look, like, I think that there should be laws or restrictions in place, or I, I don't think there should be, whatever your your stance is, like, be considerate of it. And like what Devin is saying, like, we, I don't think we can just take this issue as like a talking point from our favorite news source, right? And th- that would be my urge, um, especially to anybody that listens to the show or, or any, any Christians out there is like, I think we have to be considerate of this beyond just, Hey, look, here's what, you know, even my parents say, or my siblings say, or, you know, my, my politicians say like, th- there's gotta be consideration beyond that. Yeah. And, and so it's really important. So Mike, the person who said that they could shoot a person in the back, um, if they live in Kentucky, that's illegal. So you might want to warn them about that. And yeah. then Mike, or not Mike, but uh, but Dave, the the person that says it's only three people, it's it's really hard to to keep to maintain a pro life stance if you're willing to sacrifice three people for your for your quote unquote rights that are given by the government that you don't even trust in the first place. Yeah, and it's just like I think that desensitization. I don't know if I said that right, but the, the desensitizing of violence is is really a, an issue. And uh, I, I'm with you, Mike. Like, I, I wouldn't say I'm a pacifist, but like, I definitely like lean towards like, you know, whatever the path of least violent um, uh, track is would be, you know, kind of where I stand on that. But I just, you know, we can talk about laws all day. We can talk about, you know, the morals and ethics of it. But you know, what do you think? And again, this is this is hypothetical and philosophical, but like, what do you think is the logical next step that we can take as everyday people in, in this kind of space that we're in? Yeah, I mean, I think if we, this is going to sound like 
Well, I don't, I mean, as Christians, we just have to start taking seriously, you know, the great commandment, love God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And that, that when we, when we pray the Lord's prayer, you know, that the part where it says your kingdom come, your will be done. Too many of us think, well, that's for the next life. And yeah, that's when it kingdom comes in its fulfillment. But then it says on earth as it is in heaven, like on earth right now. So like when you think about the old Testament image of, of in God's kingdom, that swords are going to be beaten into plowshares, right? That men, that people will study war no more, those kind of things. Yeah, of course, there's not going to be some perfect utopia, but, but the whole part of the point of, of the church in the world is to manifest and bring as much of that kingdom as, as we can. And I don't mean by a kingdom, you know, enforcing Christianity with the laws, like some people might want to do. I'm talking about just, yeah, a world of more righteousness, more justice, more peace. You've got to start thinking that way. Um, because we should, as Christians, look, honestly, and we all have to, I have to guard on the, against this too. Too many of us are discipled more by, sorry, I'm losing my earbud. <laughs> too many of us are discipled by MSNBC or Fox or CNN or our favorite website or, you know, podcast in our, you know, the podcast we listen to or whatever, not by someone in our church and by Jesus, right? So we need to have our hearts and minds formed by the spirit, by the word, by our community of believers that we're a part of. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I think there's good evidence that people are, the way it's put is that people's political beliefs are upstream of their religious or theological ones in many cases, right? So our, what we say is a Christian belief often is formed by our political commitments that, that, um, and it's, that's backwards, right? Should want our, our political views to be shaped by our commitments to Christ, not vice versa. Amen. You sound like you've been li- you've been uh, reading some Bonhoeffer. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to uh, you know add add one piece of that, and this is something that <laughs> I feel like every time there's some sort of uh, tragedy, you know, in, involving you know gun violence or anything like that, uh, you know, you have like this group of people that are like invade the internet with thoughts and prayers you have this group of people that invade the internet with uh extreme action and then the other groups of people that are just like hey uh the extreme action isn't enough and thoughts and prayers you should do more than that right <laughs> like whatever yeah. the you have like these like you know tribes right and so again kind of pointing back to the christian perspective is like we can always do more than pray, but we can never do less than pray. And so I don't want to, again, this is kind of a, in defense of, you know, prayer, like we need to be prayerful about it. And I say that because I see so oftentimes, you know, people attacking Christians for, for being prayerful or, 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 you know, having that kind of initial position. And, you know, in a way they're kind of right. Cause like you can't just pray about it. But at the end of the day, you like that's got to be our baseline, and I think that all too often we we can discount prayer. Um, I think we sell God short way too often in that, and that we don't seek Him. And I think that's the biggest, <laughs> like the biggest problem we have internally as as people is that we don't we don't trust God. And so I think that you know we can always do more than pray, but we can never do less 
And so I would urge you to be prayerful about these things as a, as a, as another step, but then don't just stop there. Think about the ways that you can, you know, have these conversations with other people and remind them that, you know, especially if they, you know, really have had their life changed by the gospel. Like we can't just like be long arms of the NRA or our favorite politician or whatever it might be. Well, Mike, on that note, this has been an amazing time with you. Always, Always a pleasure getting to getting to hear from the uh, officially unofficial philosopher of the Dave and Dave <laughs> podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, we appreciate your time. That's good. I'm going to add that to my email signature. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And, and before yeah. we sign off, I want to, this, we're recording this on June 18th. By the time this comes out, uh, I think Juneteenth have already passed, but I want to wish everybody happy Juneteenth. If you don't know about it, read about it. And uh, it. I'm yeah. wearing my Juneteenth hat. Look at this, man. I'm wearing my official. I don't, I don't really like Detroit, but, I, you know, the logo I thought was cool. <laughs> so if you don't know about it, Google it. Google's for free. But on that note, everyone, um, Mike, again, it's been a pleasure. But on that note. We'll link the uh, book in the in the podcast notes as well. So that way, anybody who wants to check it out can go there and look it up. Uh, but like Devin said, thanks for being on. Until next time. Peace. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike.